How are we doing? Good. Well, I was, <laughs> was kind of hoping to get you to remain standing so I could speak the authority of God's word over us. So now that you're comfortably seated, stand up again. Uh, this is coming from Luke chapter 19. You'll have to excuse my cough that will come up here and there. This is Luke 19, starting at verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass his way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy, but the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for today, and we pray that we would get a better understanding of what enough is. We believe that you are a God of enough, and we pray that we would hold on to that promise as we dig into your word a little bit more closely. And all of God's people agreed and said, amen. You can grab a seat now. Um, so we are in week four of a series that we've called Five Words That Can Change Your Life. And so uh, the very first week, our friend Nick Graham was here and he spoke on the word what? Yes. Uh, and do you guys remember the word from the second week? You don't remember? Okay, it was, it was no. Um, and last week, uh, Pastor John had a great sermon on the word sorry. Sorry, or however you want to say it, sorry. And uh, if, I, if I had time, I would love to take you guys through some of the stories that we got to hear and some, about some of the conversations that happened after that message. Uh, and a lot of really cool work that God was doing uh, in the room last week, and so we were hoping we were here. This week, uh, we're talking about the word enough. Talking about the word enough. Um, now, if there are parents in the room, every now and then, um, your kids are going to want a pet. They're just going to want a pet. And it's like the gateway drug to owning a pet is a fish, right? It's easy. Stick it in the bowl. Feed it once a day, fantastic. Uh, we had some friends, Susan and uh, Sean Bork, and they were worship leaders here uh, a few years ago. And when they moved out west, they asked Catherine and I if we would try to help their fish survive. It was a beta fish named Princess Reflections. It was also a male fish, so... And it was just their daughter, who was, I think, two or three at the time, said, this is Prince, Princess Reflections. And so uh, our boys were like, yeah, let's, let's get a fish. And so we tasked our oldest son, Noah, with the job of keeping Princess Reflections alive. 
And so he had the bowl in his room, and we had one rule for him. We, we'll clean the bowl every now and then. <clears throat> you just need to feed it a pinch of food in the morning once a day. That's it. And he was like, I think I can handle that. And so uh, it went on for a number of weeks where he was right on the money. And uh, after a while, just like any kid with any new pet, they just kind of forget about it eventually. And uh, they don't want to take care of it, right? Come on, parents, don't leave me hanging. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And so after a while, Noah just kind of forgot to feed the fish. And one day he was like, oh, man, I can't believe that I forgot to feed Princess Reflections. And uh, what he decided to do is like, okay, I'm going to make sure that I don't forget for a few days. And so instead of just having one pinch of food, he decided to give like multiple pinches of food, like a handful of food on top of the fishbowl so that he didn't have to worry about it for a few days, which is very logical thinking for someone of his age. But like a fish doesn't know how to say enough. Or, like a fish doesn't understand the concept of enough. And so he doesn't know how much food he should eat. So he just eats and eats and eats. Uh, miraculously, the fish didn't die right away. He actually ended up bloating for a number of weeks until his scales began to fall off. It was quite, quite disgusting. Uh, and he ended up taking a trip down the, uh, the old toilet river eventually. Um, so a fish doesn't understand the word enough. It's like me with pizza. Like I just don't understand the word enough. To me, I've had enough pizza when there is no pizza left. That is enough to me. And so I want us to take a look at the word enough this weekend. And I kind of mentioned this a few weekends ago. We live in a culture of accumulation. We just like stuff. We love love stuff. We love gaining things. Like we, we love filling our garages with toys. We love, you know having a dozen pairs of shoes in the closet. We love getting our food as quickly and as inexpensive as possible. We love options. We just, we can't get enough stuff. So this goes beyond material things too, right? Like sometimes uh, we spend too much time on something. We spend uh, too much time maybe even away from our families. We spend uh, way too much time at work at the detriment of our relationships or whatever the case may be. So regardless of your kind of socioeconomic status and how many zeros are on the end of your paycheck, uh, many of us have this trouble with confronting the word enough. And things are harmless, I get it, but by stuff, it just takes up room in our lives for some of the most important things. The writer of Proverbs puts it like this in chapter 16. It's better to live humbly among the poor than to live it up among the rich and famous. Moderation is better than muscle. Self-control, better than political power. The way of the rich, or there's a way that looks harmless enough, but look again, it leads straight to hell. Leads straight to hell. So enough isn't like rocket science, right? Like It's not going to be new information for me to come up here and say, like, you don't need stuff to fill your life, to make you feel worthy, right? That's not news to anybody, correct? Like, you don't need to find fulfillment in having a bunch of stuff. That's not new information for you. So as we continue to wrestle with this word, enough, 
Like, I don't want to rail on and on and on about not having things. Like, I don't want to say have less, do less, spend less. Uh, I want you to, you know, sell all your possessions and go live in a van down by the river. Right? Like, that's not what I'm going to ask you to do because that is not something that I would do. And it would be hypocritical for me to stand here and tell you that I don't like stuff. Okay? I'm probably one of the few males in this room who likes to have an ever-revolving wardrobe in his closet. Like, I like to have stuff. I like my boots to match my belt. They do, just so you know. Uh, I, I like that kind of, like, I, I, that's important to me. So I like having stuff. Right? I, I, I love uh, guitar stuff, right? And, and to my ever-changing guitar tone with pedals and gadgets. Like, I love that stuff. I love to go to the movies. I love to kind of be entertained. I love to fill my schedule with things like that. You know, I wish I had a bigger house. I would love to have a second car, and I would love to have a jet ski for the summers. Okay, so for, for me to stand here and say, you can't have that stuff. It's not good for you. Don't think about it. Like, it would be very hypocritical for me. But What I want for us to understand today is what a biblical structure for the word enough looks like. Like, what does enough look like for you? Because what I say is going to be different for each one of us in this room. Enough looks way different for each one of us. And so let's wrestle with that word today in God's word. And so we're going to be, uh, again, in Luke 19, if you want to turn your Bible there, whether you've got it on your phone or you brought a, like, original copy. Now, here's the thing I want us to know. This is what I believe a biblical structure of the word enough means. Enough is not a level of wealth that you obtain. Enough is a statement of trust that you proclaim. Okay, that's what I want us to walk away with. Let me say that again. Enough is not a level of wealth that you obtain. Enough is a statement of trust that you proclaim. And I think Zacchaeus is a a perfect example of this. So turn to uh, Luke 19, and we're going to dig a little bit deeper into this story that most of us have probably heard in like the Sunday school way, right? We all know the song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a... Yeah, you guys, wow. Need to get the worship team back out here and give us a key or what? So we all know, like, the story of Zacchaeus. Like, we all know the nursery rhyme. But the story, I think, goes so much deeper than what Jesus did for the short guy, for the small guy. And he's not even the, short, the shortest person in the Bible. Do you know who the shortest person in the Bible was? Nehemiah. My father-in-law gave me that one, so thank you, Dale. Uh, so, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. So sorry about that. Um, so let's take a deeper look at this story of Zacchaeus. So he was this tax collector that ain't, like, nobody liked him. And he has this encounter with Jesus. This is what happens in Luke 19, starting at verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. Now, I think that these first four verses have, for me, one of the biggest impacts in this story. And let me explain why. So between Jericho and Jerusalem, there was a, a trade route. And 
on this trade route were all these vendors and merchants. There was all these markets, and there was a lot of imports, right? There was a lot of goods kind of being traded either way. And so this was a main place where people would travel from one city to the other. They, most of them would make their way through this part of the country. And so, they, of course, they would be bombarded by merchants and vendors and all that kind of stuff. And so this trade route was specifically important for the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire at, at the time like, owned all this, all this land, and they had this huge army. And in order to afford to keep pushing their empire forward, they had to put tariffs on all of this imported goods, goods that was going back and forth, right? And so they're making their money off of the people who are selling all of their wares, all of their goods, all of these imported stuff. And so the Jewish people didn't like this, right? Uh, particularly, the Jewish people did not like that everything that they were selling is being taxed. And so they hated this. They hated the Roman Empire for this fact themselves. So what they would do is that they would hire Jewish people. They would like give them like insane amounts of money in order to be a representative for the Roman Empire to basically take all this money from the Jewish people. Like, the tension was so high that they said, well, let's just pay somebody to turn his back on his culture and his lineage, and they'll be the tax collector to try to cut the tension. But really, the opposite thing worked. And so this Zacchaeus comes by, and he takes the money. He takes the bribe from the Roman Empire to become a tax collector for this specific region, for this trade route, for this Im these, these imports, and he's making a ton of money. He's doing really, really well at it. But the thing is, everyone hates him. Like, because he's turned his back on his Jewish lineage, like, and, and making all this money, like, the people can't stand him. They do not like him. And so, enter Zacchaeus. He's this corrupt Jew who's taken these huge bribes uh, to be like the go-to person between the Roman Empire and the Jewish people, but they all hate him. And the other thing that the word, God's word lets us know is that he was short. Any other time in the Bible, that would probably be a characteristic that is not important. Like, why is God's word letting us know that he's short? Like, why, why do we care that he was short? Like, it makes no sense. It, it, wasn't, it definitely wasn't to make some kind of nursery rhyme for us to learn when we're kids. Like, why does God's word go out of its way to make sure we know his stature, right? So not, not only people are looking down at him physically, but they're also looking down at him because they can't stand him because he's swindling people and he's stealing from people. Now, him being short really comes to play in the fourth verse, when it, set, when it contrasts a sycamore fig tree. These trees are huge. They're like 65 feet tall. They have these huge kind of linear branches that make it really easy to climb. And they're full with figs and foliage. So the, the, these trees are huge. They're enormous. But what is also interesting to note about fig trees these sycamore trees, is that they represent the poor. See, 
these trees, they took so long to grow, and the work was so hard to plant them, and the payoff was so little that only the poor would be the ones to plant them. And then when they were mature enough, they, then they would take the figs down and begin to sell them, which aren't that really tasty. They're not that tasty anyway. Right? So this tree represents the poor. It was cultivated by the poorest people of the town because they take so long to grow and these kind of untasty fruit that come of it. So get this. Like, don't miss this. You've got this short, rich man climbing a huge, tall tree that represents the poor. There's this, this contrast that we can miss really, really easily that there's this short, rich man climbing a really tall, poor tree. And so as he makes his way up this tree, really the transition of his encounter with Jesus is beginning. We would call this prevenient grace. This is something when Jesus calls us and he draws us to himself before we're even aware. Like, I believe that him climbing this tree is, is this prevenient grace, this way that Jesus is calling Zacchaeus unto himself. Verse 5, when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I'm, I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people, they were displeased. He had gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. So in typical Jesus fashion, he sees something in Zacchaeus' heart that other people don't. Right? They look at him being this guy of... Uh, of small stature, who's making all this money, swindling them out of, you know, these taxes on all these goods. So they look at that. They look at the outside, what they see. But Jesus, of course, we all know that he looks uh, at the heart. He responds sympathetically to those that seek him. And so as he climbs this tree, it catches Jesus' attention. And everyone else is grumbles, right? Like, everyone else is displeased that he, he's coming down from this tree and going to Zacchaeus' house. <coughs> Verse 8. Meanwhile, which probably means like later that evening or the next morning, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor, Lord. And I have cheated, if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, salvation has come to this house today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham, which is, that's a significant thing, because someone who has turned their back on their cultural lineage, Jesus is saying, no, you are still a son of Abraham. Verse 10, for the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. So this is where we get the idea that Jesus is enough. He is the one that's enough. It's like when you're given new life in Christ and you're filled with the Spirit of God, there is a change that happens inside of you. And for Zacchaeus, the, 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 most, uh, the, the, the biggest transformation that happens in his life is that he moves into this spirit of generosity. He understands that when he gives his life to Jesus, and we, we kind of assume here that they spend some time chatting through a new life in Christ at, at his home. We kind of get the picture that they have this conversation that we, that we miss, and that's okay, because we understand that there's been a significant transformation in his life, and he has this, this spirit of generosity and joy, a truly changed heart 
responds in generosity and joy. And not just like generosity and money, but in time and compassion and love and giving and tithing and mission, like all of that stuff. When Jesus changes us, he pulls us into this new life and this new way of thinking. And so what he does is he, he moves out of this, this life of greed and, and swindling people and being a thief and turning his back on his family and his friends and his culture. And his whole life is changed. And of course, Jesus affirms this by saying, salvation has come to this house. What happens is when you give your life to Jesus, that should also change some things inside of you. One of those things being this, this spirit of generosity and joy. When Jesus becomes your everything, what you have becomes enough. What you already have becomes enough. Because enough is not a level of wealth that you obtain. Enough is a statement of trust that you proclaim. So Jesus changes your enough. So, so when, we're, when we're trying to work our way through what we have and trying to get to that next goal of that next thing that we want, like there's a bit of discontent there. And when Zacchaeus gives his life to Jesus for the kingdom cause, he, he kind of realizes, oh, like he is enough. Jesus is my provider, and he is the one who gives me everything that I need. Jesus is enough because he provides for me, and he cares for me, because he wants to bless me. Jesus is these things as soon as you trust him with what you currently have. John Ortberg uh, puts it this way. Uh, He made this great kind of graph, and uh, it really struck me for this week. And so, uh, this is going to be hard to do with a mic, but here... This hand is what you have, okay? Like, this is what you currently have. And above that, let's say that this represents for you enough. Like, this is enough. And so when you live with what you have, and you're always striving to get that thing that you think is going to be enough, you're always going to live in this zone of discontent, When you're never happy with what you have and you're always striving for what you think is enough, you are going to live a life of discontent. You following me? Now, let's take that same thing. Let's say that this is what you have and when you recognize that Jesus is enough for you, when he provides for you, when he cares for you, when he gives you everything that you need, whether or not you know it, if this is what you have, and that becomes greater than what you perceive is enough, which is down here now, you really, you begin to live this transformed life of living in generosity. When what you have is enough, and you live out of the excess of what your new enough becomes, you get to live a life of generosity. That's what Jesus does for us. When we can understand that he is enough, We become happy with what we have, and when we live a generous life, then I believe that God blesses us. When we trust him with what we have, he begins to risk enough on us. When when we begin to be happy with enough, I believe that he risks 
his own generosity on us as well. And he blesses us and he provides everything that we need. And we don't have to live a discontent life. We can live a generous life. Now, the application here is a little bit different for each one of us. It all looks different for us. We, we're all in, in kind of different socioeconomic, you know, areas in our life. We all have different kinds of jobs. We all do different things. And so the application of what it means to be enough is different for us. And so I want to take a look at a few of those things. The first is us, you want to say enough with our time. See, if you follow Jesus and you, you can trust him with your time, and if you follow Jesus and you follow his word and you read his word, then he begins to guide you in time management. He tells you and he will reveal to you the things that should be most important in your life, the priorities in your life. When you trust Jesus with your time, he will help you manage that. And he'll make more time for you and your spouse and for your kids and for your family and for your friends and for your jobs. Like God's word will do that for us when we say enough to our time. Next is that he wants us to say enough to our spending. See, the majority of your financial spending... Well, it like goes into filling holes in your garage or filling holes in your closet or filling holes in your schedule, filling holes in your entertainment room, whatever the case may be. If, if that's where the majority of your spending goes, you, you need Holy Spirit to speak something new in your life because you're going to continue to live that life of discontent, but he wants you to live in a life of joy and generosity. Say enough to your spending. Now, things and you know, video games and clothes and machines with wheels that go fast, those are not bad things. Like, don't hear what I'm saying. Those are not bad things. But when those things take up the areas in our life that keep us from generosity, then we need the discernment of Holy Spirit to tell us otherwise. And finally, he wants us to say enough to your tithe. And there are some people in here, and if, if you're new or you're visiting, this is your first time here, and you've just jumped into a money sermon, my sincerest apologies, but I believe that God has something significant for us when it comes, especially when it comes to tithing. Like if, if, you, if you've never tithed before, do not be ashamed of that. Tithing is a very important spiritual discipline. That takes time and practice to understand. And if you don't know what a tithe is, tithe is essentially um, kind of a biblical commandment to say that you give 10% of whatever it is that you make to the kingdom cause. And if, if, you, if you have no concept of what that is, if that is new to you, do not be ashamed of that. And I would recommend that you trust God with your enough to tithe. But But Maybe you need to start at 2%. And I don't want to put percentages on things. Maybe you need to start at 2% and see what God does. Maybe you need to start at 5% and see how God multiplies it. Maybe you need to then jump to 8% and see how God uses it. And then maybe you make the jump to 11 or 12% or whatever the case may be and see how you see spiritual fruit happen in your life. I guarantee it. If you trust God with your enough, he will use it. He will use it in great and powerful ways. And then there's some of us who already regularly tithe. And God bless you. That is a great spiritual gift that takes time. And maybe you give your 10%. You're like, I did it. That's my 10%. That's all I'm going to give. Maybe you need to trust him with your enough and go even higher than that. But maybe even beyond that, maybe you need to just 
begin to tithe your time. Yeah, like if you're already giving spiritually through your, the financial blessing that he's given you with, maybe you need to tithe your gifts and your abilities. Maybe you need to tithe a seat at your kitchen table for someone to sit with you and do community with. Like I think there's a challenge here for each one of us. Because I believe that if we trust God with our enough, he will risk his generosity on us. And these are huge, huge things. And our service leaders are going to talk about some ways that you can continue to give throughout the summer. Like I know a lot of people will like, I'm here, I'm going to give, but then I'm gone for the whole summer at the cottage or I'm on vacation or whatever, but my tithe, I don't know where that goes. You know, maybe we need to consider finding a ways to consistently give to the kingdom cause. And look, I'm not asking for a raise, okay? I'm not asking for you guys to help us with the lighting bill. I'm not asking for, you know, new and better coffee, although we, we could do some help, guys. Um, I'm not asking for any of those things. I'm asking you to trust Jesus with your enough so that he can use it and multiply it for a kingdom cause and that we can see him be proclaimed because if Jesus is enough in your life, then enough becomes not a level of wealth that you obtain, but it become, enough becomes a statement of trust that you proclaim. Amen? Because I believe that Christ is enough. I, I just believe that he is. And I believe that when we trust him with whatever our enough is, I believe that he uses it and multiplies it and he blesses it and he does the same to you in return because he is enough. So is our enough to be generous. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. God, we just ask that you would take each one of our humble offerings for all the ways that you've blessed us. God, may we live a life of generosity and bless others in return. God, may we continue to give to your kingdom to see your name proclaimed, to see you made famous in this city and around the world. And Jesus, we proclaim that you are enough, that Christ is enough. And all of God's people agreed and said,